Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast, where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast, we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Good day, everyone. Thank you for joining us. So today we have one of our favorite guests back on the podcast, Wayne Johnson, who's a librarian here at Central, and he's going to be talking about baseball today. Now, I have to confess, I don't know anything about baseball. <laughs> We're a soccer family, Wayne. So it, this is this is your 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 thing. So uh, yeah. I get to make up my own questions. Yes, of course. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, uh, like you said, today we will be talking about baseball, specifically the history of baseball in Lexington. At all levels, you know, starting with the T-ball up through the major leagues. Now, Lexington's had a long, rich tradition of baseball excellence. The city can trace its baseball history back to shortly after the Civil War. When I was doing the research for this topic, of course, I used our local history index. And the first reference I found in the local history index was for baseball was in 1867, with a story about a couple baseball club teams meeting to have a game. Now, as I've mentioned before in previous podcasts, the local history index, uh, for those who do not know, is a LPL staff-generated citation index to all the Lexington newspapers dating back to the first paper, the Kentucky Gazette, in 1787. But if you have any topic on Lexington history, it's a great source to begin your search. Of course, yeah, it's our favorite, probably, and most used. <laughs> I did a lot of my research through the local history index. And then, of course, based on growing up here in Lexington, my experiences with, with baseball over the years. But anyway, it was basically after the Civil War that teams would form, I call them club teams, and they would play baseball games against teams in the area. Now, of course, back then, the transportation was very limited, so you couldn't do a lot of road trips. So they were very limited as to where they could go play. One interesting or funny story I ran across, apparently there was some complaints back in the day in the 1800s about baseball being played on Sundays. Oh, that's I guess a big no-no. Yeah, yeah, I guess maybe because <laughs> of the church churchgoers yes, and yes. all that. But there was an 1891 article about it, the Fay County Circuit Court grand jury in response to these complaints of baseball being played on Sundays. They indicted a bunch of local players and charged them with creating a local nuisance by playing on Sundays. <laughs> were these were these adults playing or yeah, children? Yeah, yes, oh, okay. yes. And, oh, uh, now, I'm not sure how the court case turned out, but it's it does seem that baseball survived, and it is our national pastime. But uh, apparently back in the, in the day. Well, oh, it was something new. I think anything new is going to create some sort of yeah. hullabaloo. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> not playing baseball on Sundays is uh, unheard of. Yes. You know? <laughs> so I thought it, when I saw that article, I thought that was that was pretty interesting. And that's why I uh, commented on it. Now, I know when people think of Lexington and sports, two things immediately pop up. You know, you got horse racing and you got Basketball, die and bleed basketball, big but, blue. <laughs> yeah. But baseball, which is our national pastime, I would argue ranks right up there with them. You know, I know growing up here in Lexington, we I probably spent more time playing baseball than I did basketball, even though I was a big basketball fan. You know, kids growing up here in Lexington 
have had great training with, with baseball, starting with T-ball on up. Back when I was growing up, we didn't have T-ball. It started, I played a lot of sandlot baseball, but if you wanted to play organized baseball, it would start with, I guess, maybe seven, eight years old, the small fry teams, and then you would progress up to the little leagues, and then the Babe Ruth leagues, and then Connie Mack leagues to high school. And they had the opportunity to get started at a young age, and we had a great system of baseball leagues here in town. And... You know, the great thing about baseball, no matter what community you're in, you know, when you have the right kind of coaching and support, community support, family support, it teaches kids, you know, focus and discipline and sportsmanship. And I think that's one of the values. Even if you don't make the major leagues, baseball, starting baseball at an early age can be very beneficial to, to a kid growing up into adulthood. And it also, you know, back in the day, and still does, uh, gives families and friends a chance to gather and mingle. You can go to most any park in the country, including here in Lexington, and you, you, you can see this firsthand. You know, people sitting around in their lawn chairs, watching their kid play a game, play a little league game or Babe Ruth game, and ki- the kids running around playing and the adults talking with friends and working the concession stands. And it's just a great atmosphere. I live near Shilto Park and uh, do a lot of uh, my walking trails up there. And you can see it most any day or night at the park mm-hmm. during summertime yeah. is kids playing baseball and the families there watching. And it's just a great atmosphere. They stay until late into the night. <laughs> yes, they do. Now, I quit walking. <laughs> Before dark, but yeah, they're out there late, and it's just a great atmosphere. And that's one of the great things about baseball, I think. Anyway, I mentioned T-ball, and then you go to small fry. And I'm, I'm going to start the discussion as far as leagues with our, our little league system here, here in town. Lexington's over the years, has had many great success stories of players and teams throughout the years here in Lexington. Most baseball folks know this, but for those who don't, Little League is for the ages 9 to 12. And back in the day, Lexington, I'm sure it's still this way now, but they have leagues spread out throughout the city. Back when I was growing up in the 60s and early 70s, the leagues that come to mind were the Eastern Little League, the Northern Little League, Western, Southern, Central, Southeastern, etc. And these leagues consisted of various teams, usually maybe seven or eight teams. And they played a regular season and had a champion of each league decided at the end of the season. Now, at the end of the regular season, all-star teams would be named for each league. And these all-stars would square off in a playoff facing all the other league all-star teams. And the goal with these all-star games would be to advance through the district, then to the state tournament, facing other Little League all-star teams and throughout the state. And if you happen to win the state championship, you get to go on to a regional tournament. And after that, back when I was growing up and still is, the grandest of all Little League achievements would be to make the Little League World Series in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Is that still played in Pennsylvania? Oh yeah, the champion, uh, and it's it's it makes national TV, and I think it got its the, the world Little League World Series got its start. I think nineteen thirty nine. I'm not sure Lexington started participating that early, but uh, anyway, they make a big 
to do about it, national TV, teams from all over the world. And back when I was growing up, teams from Taiwan used to dominate. It'd be hard to beat a team from Taiwan, but it looks like teams have caught up over the years with them. But anyway, it, it's truly a World Series, teams from Taiwan, Japan, Mexico, etc. And as I mentioned, the, the series got started, at, I believe, in 1939. And in that time, two Lexington All-Star teams have made it that far to the Little League World Series, quite an achievement. A few have made it as far as winning the state title and advancing to the regionals, but only two have made it. Back in those days, the local papers would do a great job reporting on baseball and yeah. about the kids. At all levels? Mostly Little League and, and Babe Ruth. Yeah. They wouldn't get into the small fry, that yeah. kind of stuff. But they would they would keep have weekly reports on league standings and statistical leaders. And they would have featured biographies or stories about a kid that was doing really well. And if you wanted your name out there, and you got to remember, this is before the Internet and cable televisions. And basically the way you got your name out there was through the local newspapers. Yeah. So if a kid was <laughs> – I mean, it, it would be an exciting thing to get your story. Of course, yeah. Uh, your picture and the story about you in the, in the local papers. And anyway, the Herald and the Leader did a great job with that. Well, anyway, getting back to the League All-Star teams, and I mentioned two in our history – made it as far as the Williamsport uh, World Series. Uh, the first one was the 1971 Gardenside team. Uh, they they made the Little League World Series. Now, unfortunately, they got beat out their first game. But anyway, it was quite an achievement for them to make it that far, and it made headlines in the sports pages for a couple of weeks. And, of course, for the kids, not only is it great for them to go out and play a game they love, but if luck would hold out, maybe they get to start school a couple of days later than they normally would have to. So so that was always a good thing if you could make it that far. But anyway, Gardenside made it to the Williamsport in 1974. And in 1978, the South Lexington team came in, actually made it to the World Series and came in third place, which is quite an achievement. I think the World Series is a series of eight to 10 teams or whatever and they play. You know, that, that's quite um, an achievement. Yeah. Wow. And okay. it's a single elimination. And Anyway, it's quite an, an achievement just to make it. Lexington's had those two teams. Now, although we've never produced a Little League World Series winner, Louisville has. In the 2002 Valley All-Stars uh, won it all. That was quite an achievement. We've had a lot of good Little League teams, Little League coaches. It, it's, it's a community effort. They've done a great job with Little League here in town. Well, let me uh, uh, just mention these uh, two stories that I thought were interesting involving Little League teams here in Lexington over the years that I've run across. And both of them involve baseball streaks. The first one was a uh, Little League winning streak. Between 1958 and 1961, the Western Little League Coats won a record 56 games in a row spanning some three seasons. And at the time, this was said to be the longest winning streak in Little League history in, in the entire country. So that that's a, just a great story. And, you know, speaking of amazing streaks, the 1973 Central Little League All-Stars indirectly were involved with what can be considered the most historical of all baseball streaks. But at the time, they didn't know it and didn't even realize their 
connection with this record till years later. And the story goes like this, that in these Central Little League All-Stars actually had their own major league, future major league pitcher on their on their team. Tony Mack, who was a pitcher, little league pitcher, actually made it to the major leagues. And he was on Central's team that year. Well, anyway, the team had reached the regional tournament that year, 1973, and I think it was St. Petersburg, Florida. And if they won that tournament, they were headed for Williamsport to the World Series. And they didn't win the tournament, but they had a great story to tell decades later. But at the time, they did not realize their brush with greatness. And it wasn't until 22 years later that they found out about it. And the story goes like this. Uh, In August of 1973, the Central All-Stars face a team from Asheville, North Carolina. And Asheville had this pitcher by the name of Bobby. And he wasn't a great hard-throwing pitcher. In fact, the story goes that he threw a lot of junk knuckleballs <laughs> and that kind of st- breaking balls and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Well, anyway, Central beat Asheville 5-3, to three, and they ended up losing the next game and got to be out of the tournament. So as kids will do, they will save their newspaper clippings. And over the years, they'll look back at their accomplishments, and they would save this story about the uh, – time they beat the Asheville Little League team and this and, and their pitcher by the name of Bobby. They didn't give it a second thought that they were dealing with baseball greatness with this I mean, Bobby kid. Well, I mean, he was throwing junk He junk was throwing balls. junk. <laughs> Plus, they misspelled his name in the newspaper article. Oh. And they never put two and two together until 22 years later in, in the summer of 1995, a USA reporter called one of the Central Little League All-Star players, asked him how it felt to hit a Little League home run. This kid had hit a home run off the pitcher, Bobby, and how it felt to hit a Little League home run off a baseball legend. And this guy was shocked because the pitcher in question was named Bobby, and they spelled his last name in the box score as Ritken, R-I-T-K-E-N. Well, the baseball player was none other than Cal Ripken, the player who was about to break the legendary Lou Gehrig consecutive game streak playing record. But Central Little League players never realized they played Cal Ripken (laughs) in this game. And, you know, Cal Ripken, we don't know how they got the name Bobby because his name is like Calvin Edward or something like that. Nothing Robert. Or, I just attribute it to a, maybe a, somebody that wrote the lineups, you know, the, yeah, box, just, uh, yeah. the kids that keep the scores probably just wrote it Probably down. mixed them up with another kid or something, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, re- they didn't realize. And, and when this uh, player for Central, 22 years later, got the call from the USA reporter saying, hey, you hit a home run off Cal Rick, and he started calling all his teammates and letting them know. Another funny part of this story, the Herald-Leader did a retrospective story in, on this event in 1995, and the coach of the Central Little League All-Stars didn't even remember the pitcher named Bobby, a.k.a. Cal Ripken. But he had mentioned that the game before, they faced a pitcher from West Virginia, and th- this kid was really good, real big, and, and he, the coach remembered going up to the pitcher after the game and saying, son, you're going to make the major leagues one day. Wow. But he didn't say a word to Bobby <laughs> Ritkin, and we all know what Ritkin. became of yeah Ritkin. <laughs> yeah, he didn't. He didn't even remember the Bobby Ritkin kid. Well, it's a lesson yeah. for 
young folks, even though you throw junk balls as a youngster, yeah. you still have a chance at greatness. <laughs> so anyway, as the old radio broadcaster, Paul Harvey, would say, now you know the rest of the story. After Little League, kids, if they decided to continue playing, they could play in what, when I was growing up, were called the Babe Ruth Leagues, you know, after another famous uh, baseball player, Babe Ruth. Oh, I failed to mention, too, that to show you what a legend Cal Ripken became, uh, not only did he beat the consecutive game streak of 2,130 games by Lou Gehrig, I think his streak ended, I want to say, maybe 2,600-some-odd games in a row. But Cal Ripken is such a baseball legend, he had his own Little League named after him, the Cal Ripken Little League. So anyway, I just thought that was a great story, and I'm sure the Central Little League All-Stars <laughs> feel the same. But anyway, after you finish Little League, you progress on to the Babe Ruth Leagues. That's the 13 to 15 age group. And they were called Babe Ruth. I think they were called Pony League. And Lexington's had its share of successful teams in, in the Babe Ruth area. And it's basically the same format that teams would play regular season and all-star teams would be named at the end of the season, would go on and face other teams in the area and then regionals and World Series and so forth. And then after Babe Ruth, you have, back when I was growing up, I'm not sure it's still called this, but it had what they called the Connie Mack League, mm. which is for kids 16 to 18. Okay, so around high school. Who were in high school. Mm. Now, the 1977 South Lexington team actually won the Connie Mack World Series, so that was quite an achievement. And by the time they get to the Connie Mack Leagues, they're in high school. And our Lexington high schools have had a, its share of successes over the years winning state titles. Uh, the 1973 Henry Clay team won the state title. Tate's Creek's had a lot of state titles over the years. 1978, 1980, 1986, 2019, they mm-hmm. won the title. Yes, they did. They won the last uh, state title. And then Lafayette has had success over the years. Uh, they won the state title in 1988, 1989, and 1992. And then you talk about baseball, even though this this guy never made the major leagues, but he's a legend in Lexington baseball for anybody growing up in the 60s and 70s. And he actually coached the Lafayette high school team. His name was Steve Chandler. And he actually played on the 1973 Henry Clay title team. And I think he uh, he ended up going to Vanderbilt. And I think he actually led the Southeastern Conference in the hitting one year, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, for any kid growing up in the 60s and 70s that followed Little League, Babe Ruth, uh, high school baseball, Steve Chandler was uh, like the player. How long did he coach? Uh, I, I don't think he coached an awful long time. I know he's not coaching now. He was the uh, coach of Lafayette during their title runs, and I'm sure his knowledge and experience played a key part in uh, them winning the titles. I just had to get his name out there because even though he didn't make the major leagues, I think he got as far as maybe the minor leagues, but he, he was he was a great baseball player. And getting back to the state titles, Lexington Catholic has won three titles, 1999, 2006, and 2009. And then the Dunbar High School won in 2003 and 2007. And the uh, Lexington Christian Academy won in 2005. So so Lexington's had 
its uh, share of success at the high school ranks. It's part of the lore of Lexington baseball history. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball game. Now, Lexington's also had its share of uh, notable, what I call, company teams, semi-pro teams, and professional teams in its history. And I just want to briefly touch on four or five of those teams. There was a local bottling plant called Eppings here in Lexington that sponsored a team here in Lexington, a semi-pro team in the 1930s, and they were called the Lexington Eppings. And they played their games at a ballpark off for Sales Road, just south of where Angliana Avenue is. And they caught a lot of attention in the local newspapers with their baseball uh, playing. You have to remember back in those days, you didn't have the Internet or cable television or even television for that matter. And local events like baseball played very big. Yeah. And, uh, it drew the, a lot of people, I yeah, think. And it was yeah. a, a chance for people to connect socially yes, as well. So. Yeah. So, so these teams and these players were considered, you know, stars of the community. And one interesting thing I found out when I was researching the, I call them the Eps, that's what the newspaper called them. One of the greatest New York Yankee players of all time, Earl Combs, who grew up here in Kentucky and made the Hall of Fame, he would sometimes play for the Eppings when his season was cut short, you know, when the Yankees did not make the World Series, which wasn't a common event for them not to make the World Series. But there was a couple times during Earl Combs' career that the Yankees didn't make the World Series and Earl Combs would come and play for the Eppings, and I'm sure he got reimbursed pretty well for doing that. That's an interesting fact. Another team that played in the old Bluegrass League and the Ohio State League in the early part of the 1900s was a team called the Lexington Colts. These teams would play teams in the area and region like Ohio and West Virginia. And I'm not exactly sure when they disbanded. I'm guessing sometime in the 1920s, maybe before the Depression hit. I'm not, I haven't found any documented story on when they when or why they disbanded, but uh, for a time there, they were a really popular uh, baseball team here in Lexington. And an interesting story about the Lexington Coats, they had a, a fella, best player, was a guy by the name of Hogan Yancey, who was a, a city attorney, and he was a future mayor of Lexington. And anyway, he was a, a prominent player and manager for the the Lexington Coats. In fact, you can run across stories, uh, newspaper about this Hogan Yancey going to play for the Coats this year. And it's like a big story. And then when he finally decided to play one year, there'd be a big story about Hogan Yancey will play this year. So anyway, he was a pretty prominent player. But a piece of trivia about Hogan Yancey, and legend has it, and I found a, an article that uh, verified this, that he was the model for the sculptor who created the John Hunt Morgan statue on huh. horseback uh, <laughs> that stood on a courthouse lawn for over a century. Yeah. Of course, it was m- removed a couple years ago. But anyway, John, uh, Hogan Yancey was the model. Wow. He was a, a, kind of a big strapping kind of fella. And <laughs> the story I read, uh, he modeled for it by sitting on a barrel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, Hogan Yancey and the Lexington Colts were 
a big part of Lexington baseball history. Now, another uh, in 1954, another version of the Lexington Colts started a team in the Class C Mountain Leagues, which was teams made up of teams from southeastern Kentucky and Tennessee, and they were a professional baseball club. But they didn't last an awful long time. I think just that summer, but they were also a very uh, important part of Lexington baseball history. You also have the Lexington Hustlers, a team that was formed around 1945. Now, there was an earlier version of a team by that same name in the early 1900s, but the uh, famous Lexington Hustlers team was formed like right after World War II, at the end of World War II. And when they first started, they were an all-African-American team. They were a semi-pro team, and they played their games at the old Bluegrass Athletic Field across from where, on Newtown Pike, across from where Lexmart is now. And they would play teams in the area, black and white teams, barnstorming Negro teams, and teams from the old Negro Leagues. Now, although they started out as an African-American team only, that was soon to change. In 1947, about the time that Jackie Robinson integrated baseball, the Hustlers had their own racial barrier breaking moment. And the story goes like this. Uh, it started on a city bus here in Lexington when a white player, Bobby Flynn, he encountered an acquaintance on the bus, John Will Scoop Brown. They knew each other, I guess, playing against each other. And anyway, Scoop Brown, who was the manager, one of the star players for the Hustlers, asked Flynn if he was playing ball with anyone. And Flynn told him that all the white teams thought he was too small to help their teams. And Scoop Brown invited Bobby Flynn to come try out for the Hustlers, and he made the team. By 1949, um, the Hustlers were like half white and half African-American. And they were thought to be, at the time, and this is like maybe a month after Jackie Robinson started playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers in the major league. I'm wondering if Scoop Brown may have got the idea that yeah. this would be a good for to do it in reverse. They were considered the first integrated team in the South. Yeah. And Ebony Magazine called them the team of democracy. Interesting. So, yeah, at that Bobby Flynn ended up state representative. Mm-hmm. He's very he's from a very prominent family here in Lexington. He refereed sports here in Kentucky for so he a was number very of years. Involved in yeah. the baseball and actually served on the city council f- for a few years too. So and and he's still he's still with us. Just played a very important role in race relations here in Lexington, he and Scoop Brown by integrating the Hustlers. Now the Hustlers, like I mentioned, faced a lot of notable teams and players over the years uh, with playing the barnstorming teams and the uh, teams from the Negro Leagues that were looking for games. And they actually faced Hank Aaron. Anybody that knows baseball uh, knows who Hank Aaron is. Hank Aaron was playing for a team in the before he made the major leagues. He's playing for, I think, the Indianapolis Clowns of the, the uh, Negro Baseball League. And he played against the Hustlers. And I think it was Scoop Brown told this story uh, one time that the game they played against Hank Aaron, he first three times up, he hit home runs. And <laughs> the game was basically over by the time the, the Hustlers even got a chance to hit, I believe. But the Hustlers had a lot of success, and they had their own notable players who went on to uh, uh, do great things. You know, I, I mentioned Bobby Flynn. You had a fellow by the name of William, nicknamed Bunny Davis, who uh, turned out to be a referee 
notable referee, and I think he's in the high school, Kentucky High School Athletic Association Hall of Fame. I mentioned John Will Scoop Brown, who is also in the Kentucky High School Hall of Fame. Before he joined the Hustlers, uh, Scoop Brown was a two-sport star at uh, the old Dunbar School up there on uh, North Upper. Funny as it may seem, Dunbar did not have a baseball team at the time. So he didn't play baseball at Dunbar, but he, he was a star in basketball and football. And in basketball, he played for the uh, noted high school coach, S.T. Roach, who is probably a podcast topic in itself. Great, great high school coach back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Well, anyway, Scoop Brown uh, worked for a number of years in the parks department here in town, did a lot of youth sports programming, very impactful person in the community, and he became a noted referee in high school sports, and he's actually in the Hall of Fame along with uh, Bunny Davis, the high school Hall of Fame. Or one other person that I'd like to mention that played on the Hustlers, and there's so many, I can't mention them all, but there's a fellow by the name of Dave Whitney who ended up being a longtime basketball coach at Alcorn State College. Actually brought a team down here to Rupp Arena, I think, in the early 90s and, and played UK. His team didn't fare too well, but <laughs> anyway, he had a notable career in, in coaching basketball. Another team I'd like to mention is, of course, the current Lexington Legends. They started off in 2001 as a minor league affiliate of the Houston Astros. And I, I think now they're the affiliate of the Kansas City Royals. But they played at Applebee's Park, which is now called Whitaker Park. And I've been to quite a few games out the park. It's a great atmosphere. They've had a lot of uh, notable players come through there. Whenever you talk about the Lexington Legends, you can't neglect to mention uh, Alan Stein, a Lexington native who pretty much moved mountains to get a minor league club here in town. So a very important figure in the history of baseball here in Lexington. And I mentioned, you know, that the Legends had some notable players. I think Hunter Pence played for a few months, major league star. Jose Altuve played for the Legends, and he's he's in the major leagues now and a star. But probably the most famous player that played for Lexington Legends only played a couple innings. I mentioned that the Legends were the minor league affiliate of the Houston Astros. Well, back in the day and even now, when a player, a star player, is hurt and they have to do some rehab assignments, sometimes they'll send them down to the minor league club to get a little work in. Well, in June of 2006, the Astros decided their pitcher, who was coming off an injury, needed a little rehab. And since his son was playing for Lexington Legends anyway, they thought, well, let's send him down to Lexington. And that's how Roger Clemens, one of the greatest pitchers of all time, ended up coming here to Lexington. He played in, in a game over at Applebee's, and it, it was made big, big uh, news at the time. And uh, it sold out the stadium and couldn't get a ticket for it. Anyway, Clemens came here and, and pitched. Anyway, the Lexington Legends are a very important part of the community, and hopefully they, we can keep them for... I hope so. It's, it's a big part of the culture here, and, and people enjoy watching them play. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. People love baseball, and it's, a, it's just a great atmosphere. So do you think that the Lexington Legends will be sticking around here in Lexington? Is there a chance that they might be leaving? Well, there's always that chance. There's stories going around that baseball is trying to cut some minor league teams, and I've heard the Lexington Legends mentioned mm -hmm. as one of the teams. 
Is there a reason why they want to cut these teams or is it just cost? What it's, is it? I would say it's probably cost. Everything is always about money. So I'm sure it has something to do with the cost. I'd hate to see the legends not be here because there's so much a part of the community. And right now it's only talk. Hopefully it just stays that way. You know, as I mentioned, the, the you know, the legends is just a great place to go watch a ball game. And even my wife, who has no interest in baseball whatsoever, <laughs> we would go out to the game. And actually, one time, she got selected to go out on the field to participate in a contest. <laughs> and she came in second place. Oh, and, yeah, the first right. place prize would be like two airline tickets to Las Vegas. <laughs> that would have been nice. <laughs> you know, even before she had a chance to win it, she said, if I win this, I'm going to exchange these tickets to see if I can go to Hawaii because uh, <laughs> my stepson, her son, was based at Pearl Harbor at the time. <laughs> so anyway, unfortunately, she came in second. Uh, but she ended up getting to go to Hawaii anyway. But yeah, we hope the legends stay here. They're a great community. They have a great impact on our community. And it would be a shame if we lost It them. would be, yeah. yeah. And the last team I want to mention is the U.K. baseball team, our college team. You know, U.K.'s had a long tradition of baseball. For a number of years, they played over at the old Shively Sports Center field, and they eventually renamed it uh, Cliff Hagen Stadium after a famous basketball player and athletic director. And then just last year, they moved over to the Kentucky Proud Park, which is off uh, Alumni Drive. Keith Madison was a longtime coach and a very important person here in local baseball circles, and he had a very good career at, at U.K., and unfortunately, UK is the only SEC team, Southeastern Conference team, to have never reached the College World Series. All the other ones have. We've come close. I can say we because I graduate from UK. We've come close. In 1988, we came up one game short in the regionals against uh, Stanford, who I think ended up going on to win the College World Series that year. If we beat Stanford, we would have made the World Series and Keith Masson had coached that team. And then we came pretty close in 2017 with our, uh, the new coach, Nick Manjone. We made it all the way to the Super Regionals in that school. Down the road, Louisville had to beat us out. But I think, oh. we're, get, I think we're getting close. Okay. I think we're getting close. I, I, th I think we are, too. Yeah, and hopefully we can break through. <laughs> yes. and, we'll do it. Yeah, and UK's had a number of uh, players uh, who ended up playing in the major leagues. Colin Calgill is one. Scott Downs, James Paxson, Chris Rusin, Trevor Gott, who I believe uh, graduated from uh, Tate's Creek, and some other notable players that played at UK. Uh, Marv Foley uh, made the major leagues. Andy Green not only made the major leagues, he ended up coaching, I think, San Diego, San Diego Padres for a few years. You have Jim Leritz, who hit a big home run in the 1996 World Series. This is only interesting to baseball fans, but I, I just got to, you know, fill this in. You had Alex Meyer, who I believe is in the majors, James Paxson, Jeff Parrott, A.J. Reed, who is probably the, the uh, most famous U.K. player as far as his achievements. He was actually named the NCAA Player of the Year a few years back, and he was a pitcher first baseman. So he could not only pitch, he could play the field, and he ended up in the majors, he Goes back and forth from the majors and the minors, but he was he was a great player at UK. You had Terry Schubert who made the majors, Ryan Streeby, Brandon Webb is another player 
who played at UK and actually won the coveted Cy Young Pitching Award one year in the majors. Uh, he wasn't born in Lexington, but he went to UK. I'm sure I'm leaving some people out. There's so many of them, I can't name them all. But UK's had a lot of success uh, developing players over the years, and hopefully we'll, we'll get to the World Series one of these days with UK. And I want to also talk about another person here who's had a major impact on baseball history, and that's Happy Chandler, our former governor. Happy was the baseball commissioner for five or six years after World War II, and he, along with Branch Rickey, were instrumental in integrating Major League Baseball with Jackie Robinson. And the story has it that Happy called Branch Rickey to his cabin in Versailles uh, one day, and they finalized plans for the integration of Major League Baseball. So any talk of baseball here in Lexington has to include Happy Chandler. I mean, we've only, even though he wasn't from Lexington, we've only had one baseball commissioner from Kentucky, and it's uh, Happy Chandler. He had a major impact on baseball history. I want to end end the talk here, and there's so much to talk about with baseball. I'm sure I left somebody's name out. If I did, I apologize. Give me a call here at the library in the next podcast. We'll <laughs> Ask get for you. a wing. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get you in. But, you know, here at the library, one of the things we do is we provide readers' advisories to people who are looking for things to read or watch. And I just thought I'd mention a few books here that I've read. Uh, that we have here in the library if people are interested. Uh, I grew up reading baseball biographies. I mean, I basically learned how to read from uh, looking at baseball standings in the local newspaper. One of my favorite books is uh, October 1964 by David Halberstein. And that's when that's the year I really remember first watching baseball because there was a great pennant race involving the Cincinnati Reds, which, by the way, is the team, the major league team growing up here in Lexington that that the kids would, would watch out gravitate for. toward. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cincinnati Reds are great. But anyway, they were in the pennant race with the Philadelphia Phillies and the St. Louis Cardinals and went down to last day. And I just remember following that pennant race. Every day I'd get the newspaper out and look at the standings. And it was just, I just remember that as a kid as the first time I fell in love with baseball. Halberstein also wrote another baseball book, The Summer of 1949 which I think dealt with the New York Yankees, uh, Boston Red Sox pennant race. It's another classic baseball book. Uh, Roger Kahn's Boys of Summer, which is about the, the old Brooklyn Dodgers. Another great baseball book. William Marshall, Bill Marshall, who was a longtime University of Kentucky archivist over at the library, UK library, wrote a book that we have here in the Kentucky Room called Baseball's Pivotal Era that covered the years 1945 to 1951, right after the World War II. And that's a great book if you're interested in reading baseball book. And like I said, I, I've read a lot of biographies, Sandy Koufax, of course, uh, Roberto Clemente, Joe DiMaggio, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, Mickey Mantle, all these great players, you know, you can find a biography on them if that's your thing. You know, the funny thing about reading baseball biographies for me is I can't pick up a book 
about a current player mm-hmm. and really get that interested in it. Mm-hmm. But you you get me a biography on somebody that played back Years in the ago. day. Yeah. I still remember reading a Yogi Berra biography when I was yeah. a kid. Well, that's part of the nostalgia, I think, of baseball, too. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And of course, probably my most, one of the best baseball books, but the one that shocked me with its ending was The Natural by Bernard Malamud. I like, I have a tendency, if I see a good movie, mm-hmm. and if it's based on a book, I will go read the book. Well, I watched The Natural when it came out, the film, in the 80s starring Robert Redford. And anyway, Redford hits the game-winning home run to win the pennant in the movie. Well, in the book, the book's a little darker, and he gets involved with gamblers. And I still remember reading reading that last page, and I sat there for like a minute, like, what? Because, <laughs> you know, I, I was sure he's going to hit a home run like he did in the movie. You know, one of my favorite quotes in that movie, The Natural, is the uh, team uh, owner, this guy, the uh, judge, had tried to bribe Roy Hobbs, played by Robert Redford, into uh, throwing a game so he could sell the team or whatever. And Robert Redford, I'll never forget this quote. And I, every time I watch the movie, I watch for this quote. But the judge said, Hobbs told him, no dice. I'm not getting involved with your throwing of the game. And, and the judge said, well, Hobbs, I thought I could depend on your honor. <laughs> and Robert Redford, in one of the greatest baseball quotes, responded, you're about to. I just uh, there's some about that quote in in that movie. If you love baseball, you gotta you gotta watch the movie. You may not want to read the book if if, if you want Hobbs <laughs> to disappointed. hit a home run. And you know you've had a lot of great baseball films, which we have films here at the library that we can refer people to. Uh, you know, The Field of Dreams is a great film. Field of Dreams it's based on a farmer building a baseball field out in his cornfield. The old quote, if you build it, they They will come. come, They're actually building a baseball field that seats 8,000 people, stadium, adjacent to like the cornfield out there. And I think at Dyersville, Iowa, Mm -hmm. and they're actually going to have a major league baseball game this summer. Oh, Chicago White Sox and New York Yankees. So that's one I'm definitely going to watch. If you're interested in baseball, the library has books, films, and we can direct you to those things. If you're interested in looking up your your baseball highlights from when you were a kid, uh, we have the newspapers here. We can look it up on microfilm for you. Yeah, uh, we sure can. But that's just a brief synopsis of baseball history in Lexington, and I hope people enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, thank you, Wayne, for doing the research and bringing us a little bit of baseball nostalgia for here in Lexington. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room, a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm, or you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublib.org. That's elibrarian at l-e-x-p-u-b-l-i-b dot org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane.